It's Tuesday, June 20th, 2023, and welcome back to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Hoover Institution's Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism. I'm not the only Hoover Fellow podcasting these days. I recommend you go to our site, which is hoover.org. Click on the tab in the top of the homepage. It says commentary. Head over to where it says multimedia, and up will come a link to podcast, audio podcast. Actually, there are 17 in all, including this one. My guest today is Dr. Herb Lynn. Dr. Lynn is the Hank J. Holland Fellow in Cyber Policy and Security at the Hoover Institution and Senior Research Scholar for Cyber Policy and Security at Stanford University's Center for International Security and Cooperation. He's also the author of the book, Cyber Threats and Nuclear Weapons. Herb Lynn's research interests relate broadly to policy-related dimensions of cybersecurity and cyberspace. That includes the use of offensive operations in cyberspace as instruments of national policy. Herb, thanks for coming on the podcast. Glad to be here. So there was news on the cyber front yesterday, Herb. Uh, the European Investment Bank's website went down due to a cyber attack. And for those listening who don't know what the European Investment Bank or EIB is, about 90% of its loans uh, go within the European Union nations, Western Europe, NATO nations. And a culprit quickly emerged, uh, Herb. It was a pro-Russian hacktivist collective called Killnet. How do we know that Killnet did it? Well, first of all, Poto said they did it, uh, but also they'd been chirping away in June that something bad was coming along. Uh, there were threats that there was going to be an attack on the SWIFT banking system, the WISE International Wire Transfer System, maybe central banks in Europe, maybe the Federal Reserve. And the group offered this warning that a cyber attack was meant to, quote, repel the maniacs according to the formula, no money, no weapons, no Kiev regime. So, Herb, here we seem to have uh, truth of what you research all the time, uh, the use of offensive weapons, uh, operations in cyberspace as an instrument of policy. True enough. Um, it has taken, uh, th- this is the first uh, major attack that I've seen. Uh, since the outbreak of the uh, Ukraine war mm-hmm. uh, that um, has had apparently had some impact on some major uh, non-Ukrainian institution. Uh, the, the bank that as you described it, the, the bank is a uh, is an important institution in the uh, infrastructure of, uh, of Europe um, and uh, for reasons, uh, that uh, you know are, are, are pretty clear. The as Europe is largely supporting Kiev, uh, Ukraine in its uh, conflict with, uh, with with Russia. Uh, this is a group that uh, has decided to express its solidarity with uh, with Russia, and are trying to use this to influence uh, uh, European policy. Now, whether they'll succeed or not is is another is another matter. Um, I don't know whether uh, the nature of the attack is one that has uh, crippling effects uh, on the actual transfer of money and so on, uh, on banking services and, and, and the like. I, from what you described, uh, it, it sounds as though they simply attacked the site. They, defaced, they may have defaced it. They may have made it unavailable to the, the, the public and, and, uh, and, and so on. Uh, those things are relatively minor uh, activities of consequence. Mostly, they what they do is they serve to to raise uh, public consciousness of what they're uh, of, of what they're doing. Now, the interesting question here is is that while they have expressed solidarity with uh, with, with Moscow on this, apparently the Moscow government, the Kremlin, did not take responsibility for this. It did not say we're behind this and and, and so on. Uh, there, I mean, it's 
unlikely, highly unlikely that they're going to go prosecute these guys. Um, this is probably this action is probably illegal under Russian law, but that doesn't matter. You know, the Russia is not going to, to go after these guys in any significant way. Um, in fact, they may be encouraging them to do it uh, behind the scenes, but nobody knows whether or not that's true. That's that's merely speculation on my part. I mean, foreign speculation, I would be willing to pay money if it's true, but I don't have any evidence to suggest that it is true. Right. So, Herb, when we talk about cyber attacks there, you mentioned that there are crippling attacks, but then there's also such a thing as a shot across the bow, if you will. And maybe that's what you have here, a shot about across the bow, a message being sent. And is that part of the nature of cyber warfare, if you will, that there are really t- there's different ways to go after uh, a foe, if you will? One is to actually try to inflict harm upon the foe, but the other is to maybe do more psychological damage and physical damage. Well, the shot across the bow, you know, at the, you know, when 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 the Navy does it, uh, and and it really fires a shot across the bow, uh, the implication is that the next shell will actually hit the ship, right? Uh, rather than just a shot across the bow. Uh, in this case, uh, we don't know that whether or not they can actually hit the ship and actually cause any real damage. We know that they can um, do bad things to the website and, and and take it down. But if it's just the website and it doesn't affect any business processes and, and, and so on, then it doesn't matter very much. Um, and it's a minor inconvenience at best. Uh, so we don't know. I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't know the capabilities of the suit. Indeed, have quite potent capabilities. For example, if the Russian government were supplying them with intelligence or with weapons, cyber weapons, and so on, about vulnerabilities that they know about in in, in the bank's uh, infrastructure, then the next shot could be, or you know, subsequent shots could be very damaging. Um, but we don't know that, and and uh, it's a matter of speculation. At, at, at this time, right now, I think we have to assume that this is what it is. It is a it's a warning. Uh, they haven't said anything. They, they haven't specified any further consequences uh, yet. I don't think from what you told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, so um, you know, we just have to see. Surely the the bank is uh, security people are more. Are, are spinning up their uh, their defenses if they hadn't already. Uh, they're doing even more now to to bolster their defensive posture, and so we'll see what happens. You know, uh, today is June the twentieth. Uh, two days from now, Herb will be the sixteen month anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Are, are you surprised something like this hasn't already happened? Because again, we are now sixteen months into this war. Well, uh, it's not for lack of trying. Certainly, Russia has been has been trying to uh, do cyber attacks against Ukraine, um, and, and so on. Um, as I said, this is the and, and they have not been all that. You know, Russian cyber operations uh, have not had the effect that many people had predicted that they would have. Um, but they have. Uh, this, I am somewhat surprised that they that they haven't inflicted. Uh, they haven't gone after the West, um, and this may have been a deliberate. Uh, uh, th- this may have been deliberate on Moscow's part uh, to um, keep the uh, conflict um, relatively restrained. Maybe they. So here's the speculation. Again, it's a speculation. Okay? Yes. Uh, they may. Moscow may have calculated up until this point that they didn't want to particularly antagonize the West. 
uh, in cyberspace because they were afraid that the West might go after it and the West may have um, a bunch of cyber capabilities against Moscow uh, and, and, and Russia that, uh, that they wouldn't like to see exploited. Uh, so they said, hey, don't do this. It's government to do it, but also told the proxies not to not to do anything. So that's a speculation. I, 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 maybe and maybe now the gloves have come off. Um, right. I don't know, that, but that's a possibility. What would a reprisal look like, Herb? And how would the European Union respond in terms of a cyber attack? Because the European Union, it's not NATO. I think no one knows the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, it is it is clear that uh, NATO has a uh, policy that says that it is willing to, it, it does regard certain kinds of cyber attack as uh, as attacks that would trigger the collective defense provision. So, you know, an attack on one country in NATO would certainly qualify as, a, uh, as an attack on NATO. Now, the European bank that you described is in fact not formally, you know, not, it's not part of any nation. Okay. And so... Uh, what the status of that is. I mean, that's an, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting observation, right? They could have gone after a German bank or a British bank. Okay? Those, are, those are two of the big players that are giving us to Ukraine. They could have gone after a Polish bank. They could have gone after an American bank. And, so, and then you, I said they did, I think you said that they threatened SWIFT, which is something that, that the U.S. maintains, and, and, and I think the U.S. maintains it, but it's an international organization. Uh, it's largely U.S.-centered. Um, and uh, you know maybe we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, but it's not you know it's, it's not clear that you would consider that. I mean I don't know what the status of an attack on SWIFT would be um, under uh, under international law. Would that be an attack on the United States or any? Na- I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I think what, good- what, yeah. What I'm getting at here is if there were a military attack upon a NATO nation, um, there would be a response under the NATO Charter. There'd be a response and. Probably an airstrike or something like that. We can quickly kind of visualize, have a mental image of what a military attack would look like. I'm trying to figure, though, Herb, what a cyber counterattack would look like and who, if it's not done against NATO, if it's if it says it's done <clears throat> against uh, an investment bank that's part of the EU, again, just how mechanically that would work. Would one country take the lead in the cyber attack? Do the countries talk to each other about cyber? How how would you how would the how would they decide, okay, we're gonna do something in response to this Russian entity? So who would take the lead? It's unclear. NATO does coordinate the has some coordination among the cyber actions, the cyber activities of, of, of partners. I mean, they they certainly talked about the question that, that that you that you've raised. It's an interesting question. I'm not sure where the physical facility is that was attacked. Okay, let's let's. I'm I'm going to assume that it's on the territory of some NATO state. But let's say that is the case. Okay, I will just assume that it, it, it's the case. And let's say they had set the cruise missile up there and it, and, and it exploded. I think that that would probably count as an attack on the state in which the, the you know, the building was resident, you know, or where it was constructed in Belgium. It probably would also count as an attack on Belgium. And therefore it would trigger the, the collective defense clause. But in cyberspace, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I don't know the, I don't know whether that would be whether this is regarded as an attack on a NATO country. Right. Um, so it's not the nature of the, the damage that's done to the cyber part. It's the it's that it's not clear which nation has been attacked. 
Right. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, this is a good question. I don't know. I haven't, and I haven't, I will look at the, I will try to do some research on this later on. I have no idea what the answer is. Well, that's like, so the question would be then is a cyber attack considered an act of war? If it's a cyber attack against a NATO member, it right. could be. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no, there's no question about that in, in NATO's mind. There are some right. cyber attacks that the, the, of some sufficient magnitude and, and, and intensity and consequence that would constitute an armed attack. There's no question about that. And the level of the certainly the level of this that you described doesn't count as that. Right. Um, if it got in, if it got worse, if it came to disrupting, you know, critical bank functions and so on, then maybe it would. There, there are two questions in all this. Is it an armed attack? Yes or no. And is it against a NATO nation? Yes or no. And what you've been focusing in on, on is the first. And right. I've been, you know, this conversation for me raises all of the ambiguities of the second. I don't know whether it's a NATO, that, that attacking an international institution is an attack on the holding, you know, the, the, the facility. I don't know the answer to that. Right. Plus, there'd be a third factor here, Herb, which is that of a collective like KillNet uh, doing something to help the Russian government. But is it working in cooperation in conjunction with the Russian government? That's also true. And I, I, I suspect that the answer to, you know, we don't, we, again, we don't know the answer to that. Right. I suspect that the answer there among NATO lawyers. Very good. Right. So this wasn't the only hacking news of late. Last week, we had news of a hacking spree. Hackers exploiting a flaw in the popular transfer file known as MoveIt. That's uh, capital M-O-V-E, little uh, lowercase it. Uh, Herb, this impacted the U.S. Department of Energy, the Office of Personnel Management, uh, uh, the BBC, British Airways were hit. Universities like the University of Georgia were struck. Also back in the U.S., uh, DMVs were uh, hit. Uh, uh, a lot of Americans having their driver's license numbers and social security numbers compromised. Herb, this was done by a group called CLOP, spelled C-L-O-P, a ransomware attack. So now we have maybe a different kind of attack where you're not doing something to promote a war, promote a government, but you are collecting data and going after different operations that way. So let's describe a bit about how ransomware attack works and really what the end goal of that would be. Well, ransomware is, is a relatively new kind of attack. Now, by relatively new, I mean uh, in the last, you know, five years, you know, five, five or 10 years versus the, the, the original attacks 30 years ago. Um, what happens in a ransomware attack is that uh, let's let's take you let's make you the victim of a ransomware attack. No. What happens is <laughs> me. <laughs> you make me the victim of a ransomware attack. Okay. Okay? Somebody invades the the bad guy comes in and invades my computer, and what he does is he encrypts all of my files so that right. I can't read. So I can't read them, and now I can't do my work. And then he sends me a note and that, that that says that Lynn, if you want your files unencrypted. That is back to what they were before. Send me a thousand dollars in Bitcoin, okay? and when you do that, I will I, I will decrypt it. As a show of good faith, I will give I, I will show you that I can decrypt. Uh, you know, show you that I have the capability to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll send you back one of the files that uh, that you want uh, that has been I encrypted for you. Show you that I can do it. Okay, and then I look at this and say, "Oh shit! I didn't back up my files. Nuts! I, I I'm in trouble now, um, and so I can't. You know, I have to pay. I have a choice of either paying this money in ransom uh, or, uh, or or never getting my files back again. And so I pay. Okay. 
Now, that's the most basic kind of ransomware attack. Now, there are many nuances to this, okay? For example, um, you said that this was not done by states. Okay? Right. This is this focusing on money. Well, that's probably true, except that we know that North Koreans do this. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Koreans do this as a way of funding some of their operations. I think I heard some number that said that, there, that, that the cost of their nuclear operation that there has been largely, if not completely, funded by various kinds of cybercrime, including ransom. So you know, governments also engage in cybercrime. North Korean government is, is, is an example of that. So that's that, that 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 that's one thing. Second thing is, if I pay out the money, what, there's no guarantee that you'll decrypt the rest of my files. You won't give me the key for it, uh, umpty dump digit key that will take to uh, unlock the, uh, the the files. Uh, and so I have no guarantee that you'll do it, even if I pay you the money. So that's also a problem. And now, in the case, let, let's say you know my files aren't useful to anybody except me. Okay, but let's say I were a uh, customer-facing organization that I had lots of sensitive information. Let's say I, I were a uh, hospital and I had medical records that, that, that people that people want to really want to keep your medical record confidential. I can, you know, now I still have the, I have your data and now I can threaten to release it. Yes, I'm willing to decrypt it for you, but I have a copy of it. You know, the, the bad guy has a copy of it. And now you can, I, I can set up a, a subscription for extortion. That is, you have to give me X dollars a month or I'm going to release these to the public. Okay. Now, I have a continuing stream of income. You know, the, the, these kinds of things are, 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 are well known. Uh, all of these kinds of things can happen. Uh, and that's the nature of, uh, of this kind of, uh, of threat. You know, you're living under the, the, the threat of uh, further data disclosure, even though you have your... Why don't we see more larger scale attacks like this? Because this was a pretty ambitious operation considering you're going after the U.S. government, you're going after the private sector entities, you're going after academic institutions as well. That's that's a pretty broad shot. Why don't we see why don't we see this more often? Why do we not or why do we why not do, see it more often? Yeah, why do we not see this more often? Why does this happen every week? Or is it happening and just it's for lack of success? Well, no, the, you know, the, there, there are these attempts all the time, and some of them are thwarted, and so on. And sometimes people pay up, okay, but uh, and, and you know, and keep it all quiet. Yeah. And by the way, you should, you know, you should note that the that the incentives for paying up are completely different from the standpoint of the victim versus the standpoint of law enforcement. Law enforcement uh, would never, ever, ever, ever pay the ransom. Okay, because it's, you know that that's just encouraging them. Okay, but right. your you know your CEO will say you know it's highly motivated to pay for it because that's needed to get yourself back in business. Okay, and, and there's no, as far as I know, um, there's no law that um, ensures you that, 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 that there's no law preventing you from paying it. So that's one thing. There are people who talk about passing such a law to reduce this, but. Um, there's right now there's no law against paying the ransom. Um, and in some cases, even labor insurance will cover some of the costs of paying the ransom. Okay. Uh, and so there are people who want who say that cyber insurance should be forbidden from covering the cost of a ransom. Uh, this is, you know, to, to, to reduce the, the, the value uh, to, the, to, to the bad guy. Um, 
course, that goes against the uh, that that goes against the individual incentives uh, for doing it uh, from the guy by uh, the guy who actually needs to get a system up and running again. Yeah. So this leads her to a question of how prepared governments are for these situations. Um, there's a group in the UK herb called Taxpayers Alliance, and they have looked at the British government servers and databases and particularly looked at three departments. Herb. They looked at the Department of uh, Health and Social Care. They looked at the UK Atomic Energy Authority, and they also looked at the UK's revenue and customs. And what they found was outdated and very vulnerable systems. In the words of one whistleblower, and I quote, the problem is so bad that some of these systems could be taken down by an enthusiastic child. Not entirely a surprise. Cybersecurity gets very little uh, attention um, um, until it's really needed and you know, until after it's really needed. I mean, that's not, a, that's, that's not a surprise at all. That would probably be true for large parts of the U.S. government as well. All right, so let's talk about the U.S. government, Herb. We have what is called a U.S. national cybersecurity strategy, but I would note that's not a national cyber strategy, is it? That's correct. It doesn't co it doesn't cover how we would use cyber operations, for example, to spy on uh, other nations. Uh, doesn't uh, many things it doesn't cover. All right. So let's talk about the U.S. government and its cyber approach. Then are are we prepared in this day and age? In your estimation, are we where we should be? No, but we've never been. Uh, and and uh, the the fundamental problem is that uh, if you want uh, cybersecurity. Uh, you have to be prepared for a lot of inconvenience and difficulty in doing your work. And the work of government is so hard to, to do, it's so hard to, to manage and so on, that adding cybersecurity to it just simply adds to the burden. But people don't want to do it. They know that they have to, but it's like eating your vegetables. And uh, you know, for somebody who doesn't like vegetables, they, they don't want to, they, they would really, really rather not. And they may do it because they have to, uh, but you, know, they, you won't get enthusiasm for it. So when the uh, cybersecurity strategy report was released, Herb, it included this passage, and it said that cybersecurity, and I quote, must be the responsibility of the owners and operators of the systems that hold our data and make our society function, as well as the technology providers that build and service these systems. Okay, fine. Uh, responsibility. But then the question is, who holds the owners responsible, Herb? In other words, what is the oversight here? So this is a this is a very good question here. So let's say uh, I am operating I as an individual end user and operating we're um, using a system and and uh, now it asks me to make um, some cybersecurity decisions and I make the wrong one and I get hacked as a result of that. So that's a bad situation. What right. they're trying to what what the strategy is trying to say is you shouldn't put the end user in the situation of having to know. A lot of technical detail. Okay, this is to, to the maximum extent possible. You got to shift that burden to the people who are best able to 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 shoulder it. That is the technology providers and also the operators of the technology, the guys who provide you the the service, um, not the uh, not the end user. So that yeah. So you know, I'm all for, and you should be all for anything that rele that relieves you from a cybersecurity burden. Right. right. You don't want to have to, to, to do this and it just gets in your way. And you, you know, really want this stuff to be taken care of by somebody else. So that's good in, in principle. So now you have the question. So now you're asking the question, how do we make them, the providers and the operators, responsible? Well, right. their, their answer to that uh, in the cyber in the cybersecurity strategy uh, is uh, that uh, they're going to 
uh, try to impose liability uh, requirements for screwing up on cybersecurity, uh, mm -hmm. and also impose regulation uh, that will um, make the, the the operators and, and so on operate their systems in a, in a more secure way. Now, um, but these are very controversial ideas uh, because in you know, because there are a lot of people. Uh, um, that are skeptical about the the importance and uh, uh, the value of regulation, uh, and about imposing additional burdens on, on liability. In this, is a you know should a product provider, a technology product provider, uh, be able to disclaim liability for uh, security flaws that they have that, that they have inadvertently built into. Uh, a product. You say, well, why would they do that? Why can't you make them take out the, those vulnerabilities? Well, the problem with that is that uh, every so every piece of software has problems and has has difficulties, has bugs in it, uh, and the bad guy can come along and exploit those bugs. So, how how bug free do you want a uh, uh, your software to be? Well, you'd like it to be completely bug free, but you can't have that. Um, and their argument is the of the vendor on the vendor side is that if you insist that it be uh, more bug free, you're going to slow down the pace of innovation, uh, and because you're going to put more people making you know, taking the bugs out rather than giving them, and so and you want to make them liable for having. So this is the for for having those those those, those bugs that some bad guy exploits. Now, on the other hand, right now they don't they don't. Uh, they're not subject to any liability at all. Uh, and so the difference between, you know, you have to ask yourself, uh, is that the right balance? Um, we, we certainly have liability for um, faulty production of cars, for example. Uh, if, you, if you put out a car with a design flaw in it and it kills people and so on, the manufacturer is liable. Uh, and so, you know, why should software be any different? Uh, than that. That's the question. And how far you how far can you go in that? And what would be a safe harbor that would prevent you from having to um, being subject to liability? You get a you would, the thought would be that you get a safe harbor if you do X, Y, and Z uh, for, that are pro security. Well, okay, fine. What are those X, Y, and Z? And now that's 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 the argument. That's the nature of a big argument that's going that that's coming because the administration hasn't yet specified what X, Y, and Z are, uh, and it's working on that. Uh, as far as regulation is concerned, the, the fear is that regulation uh, will impose a one-size-fits-all on, on uh, various players, uh, various important actors here, uh, and it won't change fast enough to be responsive to, to new threat levels. On the other hand, the, the thought is also that um, regulation is uh, does help you establish a, a minimum level uh, right. of security, and uh, so you know, the question is where it, what's what's the right level of security that you want to hold everybody to, recognizing that everybody will do you know some places will have to do more than that. Well, that's that's part of the public policy debate, and we're about to see the start of a very very interesting debate.
Okay. We have not talked about China yet in this podcast. Let's do a few minutes on China. Uh, News reports uh, the other day that a suspected Chinese-backed hackers uh, used a hole in Microsoft Exchange to launch a global strike beginning last fall, Herb. Uh, Emails, these were emails with malicious file attachments. Their targets, I found this particularly interesting. 55% of their targets were entities located within the Americas. 22% uh, came from Asia Pacific. Uh, Countries, 24% from Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, foreign ministries in Southeast Asia were hit. Foreign trade offices were hit. Academic organizations in Taiwan or Hong Kong. So here's kind of interesting. Maybe this is just kind of where China is right now. You're going after entities all around the globe right now. And the question again is, what are they doing here? Is this economic? Is this geopolitical? Or is this again, or is this maybe just in like with the Chinese spy balloon, maybe this is just poking and prodding and kind of finding out what what the Chinese are actually capable of doing here. One could imagine from the Chinese perspective, it is in the Chinese interest to be siphoning off information from as many sources as possible, from right. where where the where the universe of sources is those is those groups of influential institutions. Uh, that helped shape China policy or policies that ex- that that af- that affect China. Uh, and so, for example, if there is a think tank in Singapore that uh, wants to uh, that that is particularly influential in formulating uh, Singaporean policy, or in fact, in, in just in, in informing the rest of the world uh, about China, you'd want to know about it. And China is, you know, in. Information technology storage, storage of information is cheap, uh, and, and uh, you know they are certainly of the the mindset of let's collect everything and see what you know and see what we can find. Now, does that mean they're not doing targeted collections? Absolutely not. They are doing hard targeted collections too. But in terms of this general vacuuming up of everything that is possibly that they could possibly that could possibly be relevant, well, that's what every intelligence agency wants to do. Um, get all the information it can possibly can, and because everything that they collect might be relevant, so it's not a surprise that 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 a nation that wants to uh, find out about what's going on in the world in ways that it might affect it um, are going to spread its tentacles wild, you know, widely. By the way, we do this too. Okay, this is, and in fact, every intelligence agency does this to the maximum degree possible. Um, if you're a poor intelligence agency, you have to target more. If you're richer, you have a, a greater ability to uh, spread the aperture and, and, and collect from more sources. But every intelligence agency wants to get as much information as possible. And we do a mighty good job of that, too. Right. That's not a criticism. That's, that's not a criticism. Um, but we're the good guys, of course, and so it's okay for us to be doing it. Um, because we see China as a potential competitor and adversary well. Yeah, of course, that that raises much more, you know, many more concerns because we don't like what they do. So you mentioned North Korea using uh, cyber hacking to get cash. It's a cash-starved nation. China would not be looking for cash, though. What China would be doing this? That's right. They're looking for they're looking for information that they can use. That's correct. right. So that's what great powers do. They want information, plain and simple. That's right. That's what the that's right. Now, all great powers spy on each other. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, by by agreement, we don't spy on Britain, for example. So here we are, Herb. We're in the summer of 2023. What is the next big issue when we talk about cyber attacks, cyber warfare, and cybersecurity? 
Well, the thing that's on everybody's mind these days is um, uh, is ChatGPT, uh, and, and uh, it's worth saying a, a, a few bits about that. Um, right, you've been, which you've been writing about lately. Right. Uh, what ChatGPT does, as just as an exemplar of, of, of what's possible, uh, is that it makes um, possible um, the production of information and disinformation um, possible on a, on a much more voluminous basis than previously in the past. Uh, and so uh, ChatGPT is a wonderful thing to do uh, if you want to have, if you want disinformation that you can spread around. Uh, and now it can be targeted. It's it's unique so that it's it can be uniquely you know you it can be unique to you or me. Um, so I could get a targeted information uh, you know targeted misinformation that's tailored to my personal circumstances and, and, and right. So so actually there's a TV commercial on right now. Uh, uh, Herb, it's for a travel service and it shows this woman and her dog walking through some, uh, she's in a wheelchair actually. They're in the middle of a storm in some horrible cold city and she gets back to her apartment and she goes on to the website of this travel service and you see up in the corner it says chat GPT. And she asked it, find me a warm place to go. And next thing you see, she's in a warm resort. Yay, chat GPT, wonderful things. But so we're talking though the dark side here of artificial intelligence, and that's that's what you're getting at here. That actually artificial intelligence can, AI can do wonderful things that can help you find a nice warm resort, but AI also has a negative component to it. Absolutely right. That's I couldn't have said it better. It does have a downside to it, and part of the public policy debate is whether the downside whether the downside outweighs the upside. All right, but to use the cliche here, is the horse already out of the barn when it comes to AI? That's an interesting question. Yes, in the sense that you're probably not going to be able to stop it. Why wouldn't any company stop it? Uh, you'd have to force them to stop it. And then, of course, there are those players that you couldn't force to stop it. So it's an interesting question as to whether or not. Uh, now, can you establish guidelines for how how to use it and so on? There's lots of people talking about that. I'm skeptical that it can be done easily. I have doubts as to whether or not it can be done at all. Final question, Herb. When we talk about terrorism, we talk about international terrorism, we talk about domestic terrorism. When we talk about cyber, is there such a thing as domestic cyber and international cyber attacks? And if so, if you're the United States, if the United States of America is the biggest threat from hackers within, or is it hackers abroad? If somebody's in the United States and uh, they're working for the Russian government, is that the, is that a hacker from the U.S. or for, for a hacker from abroad? I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. I think that they that they emanate that the threats the major threats emanate from from nation states. I'm not I'm not particularly worried about them. Okay. And a final question, Herman. I always like to ask this to fellows on topics. If you had five minutes or ten minutes with the president in the Oval Office and got the chance to talk cybersecurity with him, what would you tell the president? I'd say that uh, I salute the administration for the uh, very uh, new um, cybersecurity strategy. Uh, that is a, uh, it's a major step uh, forward. Please involve uh, us with the uh, formulation of the implementation plan and don't delay on that because a lot of the, the issues was in the details of it and uh, we got to get that right if we're going to make your, your very good strategy work properly. 
Well, the good news, Herb, is that you and I talked for the better part of about 45 minutes and nobody hacked our conversation. You're in Europe right now. I'm in California. The technology worked. I enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for coming on today. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Okay, Herb, you take care. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the globe. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Tell your friends about us. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's spelled H-O-O-V-E-R-I-N-S-T. Dr. Herb Lynn is on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Herb Lynn Cyber. Let me spell that for you. H-E-R-B-L-I-N-C-Y-B-E-R at Herb Lynn Cyber. I mentioned our website beginning of the podcast. That is hoover.org. While you're there, sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which keeps you updated on what Dr. Herb Lynn and his Hoover colleagues are up to. That's emailed to you weekdays. Also sign up for Hoover's Pod Blast, which delivers the best of our podcast each month to your inbox. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with a new installment of Matters of Policy and Politics. We're going to be talking Iran in the Middle East. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.